The, the reading today is from Ephesians 4, starting at verse 7. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, quote, When he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people, unquote. When he says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must not, no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. But, speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Peter. Why don't we grab someone we're with. If you don't want to reach out, you don't have to, but just grab them. Thank you, Father, that we're all in this together because of Jesus, that we're family, bought at the highest price. Speak to us now, we pray. Let my words be forgotten, but let your word go forth and establish what you purpose, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can let go of the person you're with. And <laughs> <laughs> you need to stop thinking, why are their hands so sweaty? <laughs> Today's a very special day, and it's not just because Steve Teb is with us, although it is very special because we love you and it's a joy to have you uh, amongst us. Thank you. He's going on to his third, well, actually his fourth worship time in about 18 hours tonight. So we pray glory to glory that you just have an incredible night this evening in Windsor. So it's a special day because Her Majesty the Queen will have reigned for 70 years today, which is amazing. We're going we're gonna to celebrate properly in June, give thanks for her witness, which has been steadfast and inspiring, and someone who has reigned over the country with a very real family, <laughs> and she's just been absolutely wonderful. But I was thinking to myself, over those last 70 years, as the head of the church, I wonder, let's just take a moment, if we were rocking back in her chair this afternoon, to ponder the state of the church over the last 70 years and where we find ourselves at the beginning of 2022. Do you know, 20 years ago, on an average Sunday, there are about 220,000 under-18s in church. 
That's 20 years ago. 220,000 across the whole nation. Today, that figure stands at under 88,000. Less than a quarter of churches bother making any provision for children and young people. The average size of a Church of England congregation is less than 25. Where we serve in this region, last year we had a deficit of two and a half million pounds as a diocese. Not in this church, but the family that we're part of. We're starting all sorts of discussions about identity and all of that, which are moving us away from Scripture. As a culture, I don't think it needs a rocket scientist to work out that we are seeking to untether ourselves from the Christian heritage that we've certainly overtly experienced for about 1,500 years. We know it since Augustine rolled in in the 6th century and became the first Archbishop of Canterbury. Before then, we know the Celts were here and there was some element of Christianity practiced in these islands, uh, but overtly for about 1,500 years. And we're seeking to untether ourselves from, from that. And if I was rocking back in her chair this afternoon, I would be thinking, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. Because it also doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that we're not healthier being untethered. We might know about it more fully, but it seems like if you talk to our youth team, young people are facing more mental health challenges, more paralysis about making decisions about the future, more challenges in securing you know, affordable housing. You know, ah, we're not, it's not improving us, is it? Which is the lie that we are sold you know, post-war that we're actually going to work stuff out and the world will become more peaceful as we get our act together. We know this is a lie. And so in this context, these words from Ephesians chapter 4 are the sort of words that we have to grab onto and make a decision. Do we believe this or don't we? Because this morning, here in God's presence, here amongst more than 25, meeting today as the fifth of our six congregations, it can maybe not feel for a moment like that reality is true. But less than 88,000 over the whole nation. You know, we talk, let's fast forward that 10 years, or 25 years, or 50 years, or 70 years into the future. And Paul said that when Jesus ascended on high, this would happen. Verse 13 of chapter 4, and I'm going to start in the middle, I'm going to go to the end and then go back to the start. Paul, writing the letter to the Ephesians, wrote this, that all of us will come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. The full stature of Christ. Now, what, what he meant was Christ is ascending, but he's got a body, and that's called the church. And the body 
is to grow in such a way that there'll be no difference between the head, Christ, who's in heaven, and the body here on earth. That what he's done in Jesus has set in motion the possibility for the body to match its head. And so putting that into our country and into our culture, that means in every community where there's a church meeting, the vision of God, as laid out in Ephesians 4 via Paul, is that even though Jesus is in heaven, you could look at the body of Christ and see it that it matches who Jesus is. Let let me put that another way. Think about how magnetic and compelling Jesus was when he was marching around Galilee, scattering life wherever he went, healing bodies, delivering minds, including the forgotten, upturning and turning upside down everybody's expectations about who God is and what the kingdom's like, disarming everybody's expectations about what, what a Messiah should be and should do. But everywhere he went, life just cascaded everywhere, which threatened some, but gave life to everybody who would, who would taste and see that he was good. Now, Jesus can't be everywhere as a person. And the resurrected Jesus, we know where he is. Right now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for the church. And what he's praying is that even though he can't be present physically as a person, he's praying that the body of him, the the church of him, would look exactly as he does. Scattering life, multiplying food, (laughs) healing bodies by our coats rubbing up against somebody who's menstruating for 12 years. Finding people who die prematurely and raising them to life. Speaking with authority into a culture which is confused and lost. And he had a plan that the church could do this. Now, we have to take off the lens that the church is struggling and failing and on the back foot. Because according to the Bible, it's possible for the church to rise up into maturity, into the knowledge of the Son of God, and into the fullness of Christ. It comes a second time in this passage. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We must grow up in every way into him who's the head, into Christ. And yeah, there's going to be challenges. Verse 14, we must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. He never said it's going to be cushy and it's going to be awesome and it's going to be fine. He said, in my presence is fullness of joy, but in this world you will have trouble. And there, the wind is howling with every wind of doctrine, isn't it? And people seeking to deceive, subvert, upturn, or even destroy the church of Jesus. But we do not have to be afraid. Because God said that we would rise up into the fullness of Christ. And he didn't say, open quotes, (laughs) I love that he did that. (laughs) When Jesus returns, close quotes, he didn't say that. For the first 300 years, a small band of fishermen, tax collectors, and women who would have been silenced in that culture 
managed to take on the whole Roman Empire so that in three short centuries, Constantine would look at what was going on and say, we've got to become Christian. Because otherwise, well, historians dispute whether it was for political gain or a genuine from-the-heart conversion, whatever. But in 300 years, 120 changed the whole empire. In times and seasons, the church has done this. Think about Wesley, a time where society was decadent, where society was, uh, you know, the, uh, this was the society in which William Blake wrote Jerusalem when he's talking about the dark satanic mills, when the height of the Industrial Revolution bit and the cities were dirty, filthy, full of orphans, dangerous, all of that. And into that context, Wesley began to preach. And the church was reborn through his ministry and Whitfield's ministry, and they changed the nation. They launched the missionary societies which went all over the planet. You talk to anybody outside of our nation, and they think we're absolutely clueless. They're like, what are you guys doing? It's like, you've, you've changed the world. The, the, out of the UK, we've sent missionaries all over the planet. They look at us and they say, what has gone to, got into your heads? So. <laughs> so. When we talk about a vision night, you can see a nice glossy leaflet and you can listen to our YouTube and whatever, but this is real. And at the guts of our vision is the idea, the biblical idea, that the kingdom can come. It doesn't mean there won't be evil, doesn't mean there won't be suffering, doesn't mean there won't be hardship, but the kingdom can come amongst us and transform because we know this has happened. The last, well, the first time a, a global scattering of the church happened, you know, we've just experienced one in COVID where we've been scattered to our homes, but the first time this happened in Acts chapter 8, when the church was scattered through persecution, do you know what happened? It did the opposite of the persecution, because individuals were scattered here, there, and everywhere, and they carried the kingdom. I was going to show our, our vision video. I don't know whether to do that, whether just to... Let me just try and work out whether we do that. <laughs> I think... <clears throat> the difference is, we've been scattered to our homes and we've fallen... We've had our heads up our butts. <laughs> I'm sorry. And some of the accelerators of culture over the last 60 years have come to fruition. But we need to come out of this and be reborn in God. And we are going to come out of this and be reborn in God. And we're given a mandate from the Lord for our parish in these three villages. But I'm telling you what, what we are moving into, we have to play our part in the rebirth of the church in this country. And others will, and I know others are, but we have to. You know, with what God is doing amongst us, freely we're receiving by his grace, and freely we have to give. So I, we're going to show our, our vision now, because I know there's new people amongst us. And I just want to put it in this context. I want you to watch this, 
And I want you then, we're going to look back at the passage, and I want to just describe for a few moments the guts of where we're moving into next. Because this vision really began about 30 or 40 years ago, when ones and twos began to prayer walk across the downs and began to believe that we could change these tiny, dark, satanic villages. We were, we've only been famous as a place of witchcraft where we live. And threes and fours began to pray, 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 pray that God would turn things around. The second wave came in about 1999 when people began to proclaim and preach that this stuff could actually be authoritatively true. And the liberalism that's characterized so much of church and culture began to just be challenged by the word of God and an openness to the spirit. And that led to the, the re, reordering of of what this church was about. And it led to the, the reordering of the inside, reflecting the spiritual renewal that began. The third wave came in 2013 when we arrived and we sought to gather a presence-centered people who could overtly begin to expect the inbreaking of the kingdom at all times. And we've done that as we've gathered. People say to me, I feel the presence of God when I come to church. I'm always just stunned and astonished that God in his mercy would presence himself amongst us. You know, it's, you know people say to us, we come and we just feel better when we go. <laughs> in his presence is fullness of joy and pleasures at his right hand forevermore. So we've created a space where he's welcomed and, 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 and resident amongst us. But I want you to watch this and I want to just pose the question to us, What's next? What's the fourth wave of this work that God is doing? And so we're going to watch this, and then we're just going to turn back to Ephesians 4 for us for a few moments. So let's go. And let's, if you're new amongst us, um, yeah, enough from me. <laughs> in the year 2033, a tipping point was reached in a small backwater cluster of villages in the county of Sussex. Over the past three decades, what can only be described as the presence of God had been growing steadily at a deep and permeative level throughout the communities. It wasn't simply the number and state of the churches which was remarkable, and remarkable they were. The small historic churches were packed inside and out, hosting continuous services throughout the weekend as person after person queued to worship. The historic churches had themselves birthed new church communities and converted barns, new builds and community spaces right across the area. Rivalry was consigned to being an historical anomaly as a rich oneness marked the entire church of Jesus Christ. Inside the churches, rich embraced poor, young honored old, each considered possessions for the benefit of all. Miracles great and small occurred daily as the word went forth and a beautiful serenity rested upon each gathering. No, the remarkable feature was to be found in the very atmosphere abroad in the land. Simply driving into the area, many accounts were told of long-term addictions being instantly broken. Many told of having to stop cars by the roadside as tears of healing joy streamed down faces, of kneeling beside their running engines to find the Lord Jesus Christ revealing his glorious love and freeing power. Countless sightings of angelic hosts were reported. Dreams and visions of God were seen by young and old, and it is said that the people
people felt a lightness here, as if they could reach out and touch heaven itself. This was awakening. This was revival. This was reformation, transformation. Whatever name you want to give it, all we can say is, God is there. And God had transformed the architectural landscape. What had been derelict barns 20 years before were converted into meeting places for hymn singing and unceasing prayer. Many had extended homes to house the forgotten and endangered of the invisible urban underclass. Rescued prostitutes were adopted into families. Long-term offenders learned skills, found security, and began new lives. Drug addicts broke free after prayer in heavenly language. The tormented in mind finally found peace in this haven. And haven is how the cities thought of this place. Valuing the partnership built and free flow of real help and open-armed embrace, Perhaps the cities valued mostly the divine resourcefulness that characterized the inhabitants of these villages. Seemingly touched by the finger of God, the social landscape became creatively fertile. Artistry flourished, craftsmanship thrived, music and poetry was written, dripping with the glory of heaven. Business was pioneered with holiness at its core. Schools now worshiped as they worked. And as each child worked, every fiber of their being was awoken. It seemed there was a healing home or retreat center at the bottom of every lane. Locked front doors were a thing of the past, as were neighborly feuds. Indeed, the weekend street parties were always wildly joyous, yet deeply reverent. Envoys, missionaries, and life igniters were sent from this place, around the nation and beyond, proclaiming everywhere they went, he is the Lord, the giver of life. The heartbeat of this place is hard to describe. All one can do to understand what has happened is to stand back and conclude that Almighty God must have done this. In days gone by, the Chanctonbury area was well known as a place of pagan worship and witchcraft. Redemption has enveloped the past. Now we can surely say this is the dwelling place of God. This indeed is the gate of heaven. So we're transitioning. Wave four is transitioning from building a place when we gather where people can come and receive from the presence of God to equipping the people of God for the work of ministry to go from church sent as part of the body to carry ministry and mission in our lives wherever we go Ephesians 4, just as my voice breaks, um, Ephesians 4 puts it like this in verse 12, that the gifts Jesus gave were to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That means including non-believers, and it includes seeing the body grow into the fullness of Christ. So we, we want to transition over the next three years from being a place where we've created somewhere where we can come and receive to being a place where we carry 
that living water wherever we go, into our work, into our homes, into our families, and into the church. And when I say ministry and mission, this is for the world, whether you're a teacher, a retired person, a postman, a banker, doesn't really matter. We're all in this game together. Um, a landscape gardener. <laughs> I just saw Kevin at the back. Um, <laughs> whatever you do, whatever you do, we carry the kingdom wherever we go, welcoming people to Jesus, creating atmospheres where people get healed, where minds get restored, where life is released, where hope is found. That's you and I, Monday to Saturday, everywhere we go. But also where we're raising an army of people who are going to rebirth, rebirth, I don't know if you can say that, where we can resurrect the church. Hundreds of thousands of leaders running small groups, running central ministries, getting ordained, going into the Church of England, turning it around. Man, if we can't share what we've got, then what are we doing? It's not just... So... How are we going to do that? The first thing we're going to do is we're going to begin to ruthlessly prioritize the Ephesians 4 fivefold leadership gifts to characterize central ministries apostolic, prophetic, pastoral, teaching, evangelist. We've all been to churches where one primary gift has flavored it all, haven't we? Who's been in a teaching church? Sermons are at least an hour. It's awesome for a season. Then it's like, ah, my gosh. (laughs) Um, Who's been in an evangelistic church? Have you? They don't do churches, do they? (laughs) They're on the street. They hate church. They're out on the streets. (laughs) Who's been in a prophetic church for five minutes? (laughs) The reason Church of England churches are no bigger than 25 is because if you have a pastoral leader alone, then conflict never happens, change is never allowed, and it stays at those 20 people who never allow anything to develop. And what we've had in this church is a release of the apostolic. And the apostolic is where we just yearn for the church to become the fullness of what it is. The apostolic brings the atmosphere of heaven into the earth. That's why we can taste and see and feel the presence of God in this place. But we're ruthlessly prioritizing forming a creative balance of those giftings because we never want to get stuck in church and not win thousands of people for Christ. That's the evangelistic gift mobilized. We don't want to be a place where people's lives are falling apart and marriages are are falling apart and single people are lonely and relationships are all just... That's the pastoral gift, helping us into freedom and wholeness. We, We need to know who God is, and as a secondary derivative, who we are in him and what his purposes are in the world. That's the teaching gift released. We need to know what is going on spiritually so that we can lead atmospheres. That's the prophetic gift released. And so we're beginning to really target everything at the center around the fivefold ministry, but it's for a purpose. It's to equip God's people. This is an all-play Every member, ministry, and mission in unity, not just bouncing around on our own following order, in unity, but every member, ministry, and mission so that we can drive forward. So that when we go to KFC, it feels like mini Sunday because the presence is just roaring and ripping through. And people are getting cared for and we're winning the lost and we, you know, all of that. 
When we're going out to our jobs, we're suddenly rooted and grounded in the Father's love, so we're not intimidated by people any longer. And we can just say, do you know what? Can I just tell you about the best person ever? His name is Jesus. And some people will go, wow. But a lot of people will go, ah. It's just, it's, it's how it is. <laughs> it is true. Honestly, you know, I mean, you should see some of our teenagers. We've got two alpha courses run by our teenagers at the moment. You know, and they're just telling them all about Jesus. This is in school where apparently, you know, you get beaten up for that these days. And if they can do it, my goodness, shouldn't we be setting a lead for them? What if we ran 100 alpha courses next year? So we're going to be moving forward into that. And the challenge for all of us is not to see church as the thing that happens on a Sunday. I'm not doing down Sundays. We need to be in the presence and gathered around him. We all need that. But it's through the church. It's like a river flowing from the throne of God that we taste together. We splash around. We get covered in it, soaked in it. Then we go driving out into our families, into our neighborhoods. Like how many streets could we transform here with just us lot? Couldn't we? Knock on a few doors. Is there anything I can do to help? You know, People's lives are falling apart. They really are. Some of them might be rich and fairly wealthy and have it together, but inside, people are corroding. They're perishing for lack of knowledge. We could change Sussex, honestly. We could change the Church of England. What if a third of us here went into ordination in the next five years? What else are you doing? And it's, it's dangerous, it's challenging. The enemy's roaring, loud, roaring around us like a prowling lion, or prowling around us like a roaring lion, whatever it is. <laughs> He's doing something, but who cares? It's just like a little annoying little dog, isn't it? Meh, 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 meh. It's like, fine. You know, okay, but you can't win because we're seated in Christ. And do you know who's under his feet? You are. <laughs> That's why Jesus sent them out to proclaim the gospel to all creation. With signs and wonders following. And just, if there's a few scorpions around, ew, fine. We're going to have opposition. And do you know what? If the worst happens and Christianity can no longer be proclaimed, then I'm telling you what, a few might get arrested, but the greatest revival will break out in this country. So I was talking to somebody else about all the things coming over the government agenda. I was like, hang on a minute. The government schmovement doesn't matter what they're doing. We're going to preach the gospel. And when they drive up my drive with a blue flashing light to arrest me, I'll be surprised because we're driving forward proclaiming the kingdom of God and who is in. And if we get arrested for it, then do you know what? That's when the church always wins. The church always wins. Look at what's happening in Iran. Look at what's happening in China. Look at what's happening in the Middle East. The church is exploding. And it's about time it exploded in our country. So there's a few different um, outworkings of, of this. I do want to invite you. Like, who thinks that talk was inspiring? Okay, right. Don't let it, but don't let it stay there, okay? Because it has to do two things. <laughs> it has to do two things. It has to go from our hearts into action. And we're going to talk with you over the next three years, as my voice breaks again, we're going to talk with you over the next three years about how we're mobilizing, 
How are we doing that in unity, helping us into maturity and helping us to drive forward impact? We'll, tell, we'll fill in all the blanks. But in order to prioritize and to get that creative balance as a leadership, I would love you to just sit with God and reflect on your giving. The great news is, everything that you thought you owned doesn't really belong to you anyway. <laughs> Acts chapter 4, one of, the, one of the reasons that set them apart was they didn't consider private ownership. Last time I looked at my Bible, the earth is the Lord's and... So who here owns their own house? Well, 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 no you don't. <laughs> you don't, you don't own anything, he owns it all. So we just get to redistribute what's always his. We, we, we're looking to trust God for an increase in regular giving of £100,000 this year. So there's three ways of responding. Upping your giving if you're an existing giver. Number two, starting giving if you're not in the grace of giving already. Or number three, there's a box to tick if you're giving as much as you can, but you're committing to pray. We're all in this together. We need each other. And I thank you for your ongoing generosity to what God is doing. Second thing, will you challenge yourselves to start allowing the Spirit of God to take you beyond the edge of the boat? in giving of ourselves to God, to his church, and to the work of the ministry and his mission on the earth. I say, there could be a th- what if a third of us went for ordination? And we all laugh, but what if, it, what if it happened? And we all went, having experienced the real presence of God, and we renewed the Church of England. A third of us is about 150 at the moment. Wouldn't that be cool? So talk to me if the Lord is nudging at your heart. Challenge yourself to move beyond just being sedentary into action. And the third thing is, I don't know if we should do this, but I was really interested. A lot of what you're leading us in this morning was the Lord's grace on restoring hearts. I just wonder... It'd be easy to have a sort of rip-roaring, you know, finish to this talk. But I just wonder, you know, whether what Jesus, the Good Shepherd, wants to do is just to uh, just bring us to the starting line, out from the changing rooms or the cave of disappointment and despair, and to heal our broken hearts so that we're ready for what lies ahead. The start of this passage says that Jesus descended to the lower regions. I think that means hell. When Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross and gave his life, and the sin of every single person for all of time was laid on his shoulders, the agony of separation with the Father meant that he gave up his last breath, and he descended to the dead. Normal mainstream Christians have believed that for 2,000 years. He descended to the dead. Can you imagine Jesus arriving in hell, full of demons, full of chaos, full of darkness, full of anguish, carrying the sin of all humanity on his shoulders? On the third day when the Father said, now, and he released the Spirit into Jesus' body in the tomb, and Jesus (gasps) took his first resurrected breath in. Oh my goodness. And suddenly he was lifted out of 
the place of captivity and torment. Lifted back onto the earth for about 50 short days. And then he ascended on high. And what he did was he, he made apparent that captivity itself, the place of torment and darkness, comes under the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. Do you know, if the devil himself walked in here with the full force of hell, we would have nothing to fear. Because Jesus made captivity itself a captive. (laughs) So let's put that in, in the real application for you and I. You know what your Achilles heel is, don't you? The little things that destroy your capacity to believe the fullness of what God has for you in your life. That's like a ball and chain on us, isn't it? Well, do you know what? The key's getting loosened. Because I'm telling you that Jesus gathered up all our balls and chains, the places that the enemy comes to ravage, steal, kill, and destroy. He gathered them all up together, and he ascended on high, taking those captive. He gathered them into a bundle and said, you're not afflicting my people anymore. So if you need to collect children, now's the time.